Thank you. This month's spiritual theme is salvation and wholeness. And we could look at these topics from a personal perspective, but today I want to ask how wholeness and salvation might apply to an institution. So let's start by talking about a business. What makes a business less than whole or broken? Bankruptcy? Amoral business practices? Consistent harm to employees or the environment? A possible unethical product? Or being an integral part of a systemic oppression Applying the religious language of salvation may suit two businesses in the news lately. Hobby Lobby stores and Conestoga wood specialties. As you well know, their attorneys have been arguing in front of the Supreme Court last month. And they asked to be exempt from the Affordable Care Act regulations that require companies to offer certain contraceptives in employee health plans. Four particular contraceptive pills and devices offend the morals of Hobby Lobby's president, David Green. His attorneys contend for-profit companies are entitled to the same religious protections as people or churches. David Green claims God is the owner and president of Hobby Lobby. In a sense, the company is seeking salvation from the Supreme Court We could say David Green is arguing Hobby Lobby will be broken, no longer whole, if the requirements that the government is imposing on them contradict his religious beliefs, his version of God. Hobby Lobby and Conestoga Wood Specialties are not broken associations in this sense, entitled to religious rights. And two years ago, a federal district judge in Oklahoma City agreed, ruling that for-profit companies don't have religious freedom. And then this judgment was overturned by the Court of Appeals in Denver. And this court cited... Citizens United, holding that corporations have First Amendment free speech rights protecting them from limits on political spending. What? I'm not here to trace the um, unreasonable legal nuances of this decision. Instead, As a minister, I easily see many religious problems in Hobby Lobby's request. The case ascribes a belief to an institution, 
Corporations, schools, churches do not hold beliefs. Individuals do. Then I wonder how the religious faith of owners is going to be tested and verified. Now that would be interesting. And then the questions about contraception move the discussion from the medical field where it belongs into the religious realm, sort of a mushing up of the religious and the civic. But most importantly, David Green is operating from the mistaken notion that religious values are set for life. Set for life by God, not informed by experience, but by a single book, and not subject to change. So beyond the legal arguments and case precedences, underlying the pious grandstanding and bullying is a truly misunderstood notion of humanity. What it means to be human. What it means to search for meaning as an individual. At Hope, We expect spiritual values to evolve. We insist on study, self-examination, and questioning to cultivate maturing ideas. No single, single sacred text has all the answers. No one person has a full understanding of life. Another way we say this is revelation is continues to unfold. It, revelation is ongoing. And we do not collectively recite a creed, a statement of belief, because we can't. Our collective, distinct, unfurling religious ideas are our greatest strength. Embracing religious diversity is grounded in reason and observation. The arc of human history reveals a global story of an ever-changing pantheon of deities and rituals and philosophies. While many religious and philosophical traditions claim to hold the complete and solid universal truth, our lived individual experiences make plain these truths change over a lifetime. How I think the world operates and works certainly has changed with each decade, each year, maybe each moment. And I trust this kind of progression is what you experience. Famously, Louis Fisher, when he was dean of the Universalist Seminary in St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence said, when asked about religious liberalism's flexibility, universalists are often asked to tell where they stand. 
The only true answer to give to this question is that we do not stand at all. We move. David Green would not tolerate this open-minded theological flexibility. He continues an ancient lineage of cultural leaders wielding power and money to impose an impermeable, patriarchal, religious world structure. He proclaims theology does not move. Hogwash! At Hope, we are a religious people of varying beliefs, committed to gathering because of our differences. We are most whole in our diversity and most broken when unified by dogma or fear. Our church is broken when we start using us versus them language, solidifying stereotypes. We are broken when we expect everyone to hold the same theological, philosophical, political, educational, economic, or sexual orientation. We are broken when we are not teaching an array of tools to explore and unearth your religious beliefs. And we are broken when we stop applying our religious discoveries in our personal lives, to our church, and out in the world. On the other hand, our church is most whole when each one of us is willing to be authentic and vulnerable. We are most whole when we each bring our questions, our doubts, our fears, our anger, our full personal brokenness to church. It's ironic, but our salvation, our path to wholeness as a church, rests in our owning up to being incomplete individuals and when we commit to continue seeking. Always. When we join with others on this personal, evolving spiritual quest, we create a dynamic, creative, imaginative congregation ever reaching towards wisdom. Now, our theological pluralism is, is nuanced. You can't believe just any old thing. While we accept changing beliefs, we sort through harmful and destructive ones. A poetic description of a healthy theology comes from a very influential Unitarian religious educator, one of my heroes, because she was ordained when she was 80, Sophia Lyon Fawes. She wrote, It matters what we believe. Some beliefs are like walled gardens. They encourage exclusiveness and the feeling of being especially privileged. Other beliefs are expensive 
expansive and lead the way into deeper and wider sympathies. Some beliefs are divisive, separating the saved from the unsaved, friends from enemies. Other beliefs are bonds in a world community where sincere differences beautify the pattern. Some beliefs are rigid, like the body of death, impotent in a changing world. And other beliefs are pliable, like the young sapling, ever growing with the upward thrust. So our Unitarian Universalism is a faith that grows with you. We know faith development is a lifelong journey. Beliefs can change, values can deepen, insights can broaden. Our paradigm of spiritual growth does not fit into the unbending religious definitions being debated in the Supreme Court. A corporation claiming a single set of religious values is analogous to industrial agriculture and monocropping. Both are an ecological disaster. Limiting a healthy, diverse landscape to one crop through pesticides, fertilizers, highly patented genes in seeds is like narrowing a flourishing system of spiritual quests to a single monotheology. Biodiversity is critical for preserving the intricate web of life in nature. At Hope, we help diverse spiritualities flourish in a rich garden of acceptance and support. Let me tell you a story about the healthy ramifications of expanding biodiversity. I think it applies. It comes from a TED Talk by environmentalist and writer George Monbiot, or Monbiot. He poetically explains how wolves... Wolves can change rivers. So reintroducing gray wolves into Yellowstone Park after being absent nearly 70 years created a trophic cascade, an unexpected series of ecological dominoes that no one could have expected. The whole park changed becoming more balanced and biologically diverse. When first released in the park in 1995, the gray wolves killed and thinned herds of elk. But they didn't kill all the elk. But what it did is it changed the behavior of the remaining healthier herds. And they began congregating in more protected areas. They began grazing where they could hide a bit. And this simple change enabled saplings in other areas, once eaten by elk, 
to soar into trees. And these new forests became home to dozens of different animals, rabbits, mice, bears, bald eagles, beavers. Well, now the beavers had the new trees to cut down to build dams. So they began damming up the streams using wood from these new growth forests. And their work, their dams, began to slow down the flow of the river. And that stabilized the banks of the rivers. And they became less susceptible to erosion. And so different aquatic life began to thrive in the streams. But most astoundingly, this change of events literally changed the geology of Yellowstone Park. The gray wolves were a key piece in the rebuilding Yellowstone Park's abundant web of life. John Muir, the environmentalist, once said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. The rivers were hitched to the wolves. So suppose we consider Hope Church like Yellowstone Park. Now, I don't mean our glorious natural surroundings. I mean our congregation up on this hill appears to hold diverse theologies and unique people. But upon closer examination, some of our native species have grown extinct. Because of this loss, we are confined and constrained in growing our faith and our philosophies to the fullest. No longer are our ideas and theologies being challenged and refined by a significant proportion of youthful exuberance, idealistic beliefs, cultural variations, pop culture, intergenerational collaboration. To become truly vital and healthy, Hope Church needs population diversity as much as Yellowstone and the rest of the world need biological diversity. If we sincerely believe that faith development and Unitarian identity are lifelong journeys, then we have a moral, a moral obligation to be nurturing the equivalent of UU wolf pups. Our church is not whole without a significant population of children, youth, young adults, and families to create a greater theological cascade, our own theodiversity, turning our full attention, our full support, our full resources, our full curiosity, and our full love to lifespan religious education will alter the flow of this church. We can change from a meandering stream of good works into a potent river of transformation, ensuring our health and survival. We have an ethical 
imperative to provide religious learning that is based on love, reason, and respect. Because it is in very limited supply in our country. Mark Green's definition of religion will continue to prevail if we are not teaching and sharing our message of free religious thought and action, especially to a younger generation. Salvation is not a word we should shy away from. We indeed provide salvation. When we are one of the few institutions teaching accurate sexual education grounded in healthy relationships, we are saving the world. When we support parents in raising thoughtful, compassionate children, we are saving the world. When we open our hearts to new ways of reaching across generational lines, we are saving the world. When we provide a safe place for a teenager to come out of the closet, we are saving the world. We are saving the minds and hearts of the young when they are encouraged to ask critical questions, not to fear them or suppress them. They are saving us by pushing back against worn ideas and rituals. They will keep us from falling into our own version of Mark Green's inflexible definition of religion and ethics. The church is in the midst of setting its budget for the coming year. It's a sacred contract all the members of the congregation vote on in May. And it spells out our priorities. It can be a roadmap to wholeness if it reflects a renewed commitment to intergenerational diversity. And money is only part of the journey. The work will require vision, patience, sustained effort, incredibly creative thinking, compassion, and joy. I promise each who engage in it will find new forms of salvation, saved from despair, saved from stagnation, saved from fear, and saved from loneliness. After the gray wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone, it took more than a decade for changes to begin to happen. And the project to return hope to a theologically diverse congregation is a similar long-term project. Our efforts to nurture members across all stages of life, all gender expressions, all race and abilities will cascade and unfold in beautiful ways we cannot imagine. If a wolf can change a river? Imagine what hope can do. May it be so.